Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 14, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for this morning. Once we've accepted step one, we've realized that anything that comes from our own resources, that means our willpower, effort, philosophy, morality, goals, or good intentions won't solve our problem of compulsive overeating. Our human resources alone simply aren't sufficient. Step one becomes the foundation of our recovery. Step two is the cornerstone laid on that foundation. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Here to speak with us this morning on step two and being restored to sanity is Ruth, a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Ruth is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, intensively working with other compulsive overeaters and carrying the message that there is a solution. It is now my great pleasure to welcome Ruth to the line. Okay, well, thanks, Leah. I'd have to say I'm uh, sane most of the time. Sometimes not, but anyway, yes. Okay, so step two. So I just want to say that um, for me, I always want to give credit to where credit's due. I came into the program in 1982 and stumbled along and had periods of abstinence and periods I wasn't. And uh, um, But what happened in 1986 is I went, I heard about these in, and their names were Joe and Charlie, and uh, they did big book retreats all over. So I heard that they had a big book retreat in Kansas City, four hours from where I live. Got in a car and we drove over Charlie. And so what I had known about the program up till then changed. That that we can change because I left there something that I had not known before. I picked up the book and I'd read it many times, but I got to I got to not just intellectually, but really know it also with my heart. So things changed, and and then I, I've been absent since 1986. So um, so basically what you'll hear from me, it isn't anything novel. Um, it's all from others. I would say maybe you get about 2 3% from me. The rest is copied from them and other big book thumpers. Um, I just take what they have and then give it back as best as God through God through me can do. So... Um, basically going to say the book is they've taught it others so um, just to quickly review uh, the book is a textbook not not like an you know if you want to go and get how do you spell a word you don't have to start the letter a and eventually get to the letter um, s s you actually go to find it uh, but the book is not like that even though people in program try to do it that way they pick it up and open it up and study that, that spot and kind of just maybe work that, that, but that's not the way it's to be worked. It's textbook. Beginning, and everything moves from, everything builds on the So if you opened up page 58 and started reading, rarely have you seen a person fail, and thought that that would be where you need to start, that would be like thinking you would open up a book of algebra and try to stop, solve those problems, and you've yet to learn how to do addition and subtractions. But the book is done the way it is at A Vision for You, Study it, and then once we back again, 
what have we learned? We've learned three things according to Joe and Charlie. First thing is what is the problem? Problem is powerlessness. That's our problem. What is the solution? Step two. What our problem is that we're powerless over our life's unmanageable. Then the solution is power. The problem is lack of power. The solution is power. So we have to find power greater than ourselves because our power is powerless our power. And then if we embrace that, then the third question is how do we get how do we get the And those are three through twelve. Exactly what you need to do in order to have the power original one hundred recovered alcoholics have and had. So this book is written in past other books we find will be written in present tense because they're going to supplement elaborate about maybe some of the things that are said in this book. But this book is past tense because it already happened. People are all recovered. And these original 100 recovered people told you, tell you exactly how they did it to get what they got. And if you do exactly what they say, you'll get what they got. So we want to know so that we can be recovered like them. Uh, we don't get to not do a part we don't like or just change it. That's not the way it needs to be done exactly as the That's what we're committed to. So today we're going to study what is the solution. I've already talked on what is the problem, and we can go back and listen to that, step one, which is doctor's opinion tells us what the problem is. Bill's story elaborates. So in the book, what Bill does, every time he wants a huge, big point made, he will always tell us, and then he'll give an illustration or an example of what he just can't catch it. And step is no different when he has a point. Repeat the example what he just made. Okay, so uh, one of the things you'll notice. Let's say this is your first time on the line. You've never heard before, and you'll be listening to me, and you'll go, "That's not what the OA literature says." She's saying some things different. And I just want to tell you up front so that there's no confusion here, that that is true. I don't follow the OA literature. I tried for the first four years in program, but I never got recovered. Now I work the program according to the big book, and now I am recovered. So if you hear anything that seems to be at variance with the OA literature, it is. And I just want you to know, anytime the OA literature and the AA literature are at variance, I know the oil literature is in disease. I then only follow what the big book says. It does have some good points, but it does define the problem differently. It does define, although it does tell us how to get this, gets one of the three right. So, okay, so today we're going to talk about what is the solution. Of course, you have to believe what is the problem, because who cares about this? We don't have the problem, or for us, we're lying and claiming you know, that we don't have the problem. But let's say, assume now that you are at the point where you have worked step one. You have with a 100% absolute section. I mean, it says that on page 68 in AA 12 12. We have to work at, we have to end at 100% absolute section. Assume you are there. And now you desperately, desperately yearn. Please, you're begging. Tell me what this is. I am hopeless. I utter despair. I am powerless. Please help me. 
that's the state that we went to in step two. Please do something because now we know we can do nothing. Finally, we admit we are capable of ever doing anything, not only today, but ever. So we want to. We run towards step two. Please tell us what can happen. So I joke about, well, um, you want to know what the solution is. You want to know. You're desperate. You want to know. So you might go to the chapter called There is a Solution. You probably will find something in there. In fact, if you go to a page that has in italics There is a Solution, you might find it on that page. So that's why they hide it in the book. So we'll never find it. We'll put it in the chapter called Solution, and they'll put it on a page in italics There is a Solution. So we will not find what's being facetious, but it's, that's what it is. So we're in meetings, and we want, what is the what is solution? Tell me what the solution is. Tell me what the solution is. Well, if somebody wants that, and you give them the obvious, well, why don't you go and look at the Come back and tell me what, what does that mean. And they don't really want to do that. Well, because it's right here. So um, in this talk, I'm going to talk about step two. And so I have three chapters I'm covering. There's about alcoholism. And I will say that some people in program uh, believe that have doctors of problems, real story, then it tells us what is step two, back and says more about alcoholism. And then again goes step two and we agnostic. I was not taught that way by Joe and Charlie. Their statement is everything in the book, it always builds on something in the previous. And so step one, then step two, and step three, and there's no leapfrogging back and forth. That's their, their, their point. I understand the other people, and that's fine. Um, but alcoholism has a lot uh, about step one. Um, but I have covered it in a previous talk on insanity. That is that we are insane. We have to accept that we're insane, that we want to be restored to sanity. It is actually part of step does elaborate upon step. So, all right, so we got three chapters here, so we got only so much time, so let's cover. So the first first point is what is the solution? And let's again go to the page that has their solution on it, page twenty five. Again, I'm gonna just I'm not gonna be able to cover everything. We're just gonna cover the big points in chapters. So what is the Okay, so again Bill's gonna tell us, then he's gonna turn the page and give us another time he's gonna tell us story. So if we go and we look at, there is the solution on page 25, and we go down to the second paragraph here. It says, the great fact is just this, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experience, which have revolutionized our attitude towards life, our fellows, God's universe. The central fact of our life today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which he has commenced to accomplish those things for us by ourselves. So this is what the solution is. Well, it's hard to put what the solution is in words because what it is isn't concrete and material. It's not like you look over there and you have some money and it's $100 and then you come back and now it's 120 because of certain actions you've done, certain procedures you've carried out, and now you've got an increased amount of money over there. Well, that's not what this is about. This is on the material plane. Although it manifests on the material plane, you can see results. But the actual solution is not 
material. It's not on that concrete level. So sometimes we kind of kind of find it hard it because it's not there. Where it is, where it is, it's in our heart because our Creator has entered into our heart and lives in a way vastly different than the way. So our Creator lives in our heart. Well, what what lived what lived before? Well, I would say what lived before was our self-will lived in our mind, manifested by destruction through our actions. So what we have then is God now in our heart. That tells us that this step, and we know all steps have to be taken in the heart to be taken as the big book tells us. They cannot be taken intellectually. A lot of us want to get to our thought process. But what do we know about our thought process? Our thought process is the same. Same. And so no matter how well think things out, how well they sound, it will never be and profound enough to have taken a step if try to figure it out logically and rationally, this will lead to this to this, causal effect. Because that's not the way it is in the spiritual realm. There's many things that happen that are not logically from In fact, when I look back, that's not what happened. It, it was something greater than me, some power greater than me, that somehow when I got desperate and hopeless enough and just let go, some source of energy flowed through me that enabled me to do something that I couldn't, but it wasn't thought out, well, now I'm going to have that happen. In fact, if I thought that, I would not have been surrendering. So where does the come, it comes in our heart, our creator comes to our heart. That's the only way, this paragraph is the only way that we will be able to take. So what we've had before, can more understand the solution, kind of looking at what it was like before and then where we are, but that's the result of this energy, because this energy can't be defined. It's greater than us. It's a power greater than us. Most of us call it God. We God. But this source of power, energy, that seems to come through us and we do things we couldn't do before and we think things we couldn't think before, this source, this solution, we just know that before it happened that we lived on a life of which we tried to make the war, world conform to what we wanted it to do in order so that we would not feel uncomfortable and not at ease. We would at times would feel not comfortable, not at ease, and so we would try to find some way to make it all work out for what we wanted to have. And so we would do that. And sometimes we come into program and we want be abstinent. 
I did it. You'll hear it in program all the time. I want to be absent. I want to be absent. What do I got to do? And what they're saying is, tell me your diet. I want it because I'm in utter despair. So you tell me your diet. I'll take it. I'll translate it, what I want to do with that. I may hit it or maybe modify it, but you tell me. I really want abstinence, and I really want you to tell me. Please, I'll hear people even call, please sponsor me. I want to be abstinent. But it is still an intellectual exercise of you tell me something, I'll hear it, I'll translate it, and then I'll do that so that I could have what I want, which is abstinence. Just because you want abstinence does not mean that you have turned your will over. You want it on your terms, and so you continue to try to get it on your terms. You have taken step one. You don't do it on your terms. You, in step one, it is not about doing what you can do to get what you want. Sounds noble. I want to be abstinent, don't I? Well, on page 19 in the big book, go to page 19, that very first paragraph says, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. So if what you want is just part of step one, then are you not treating the program as a diet club? Free one, but a diet club. Because you want something, your life is a mess, and you are trying to get it, and now you feel pretty bad, and so you want that thing, and you have not taken Because if you admit something 100% with absolute perfection, you don't ask nothing. There's nothing. You say, just tell me what you Because I know I can't do it at all based on my best efforts to got me. In that state, it is not an intellectual exercise at all. So we now come to step two, again, in our hearts, because in our hearts we know we're not worthy of something as great as this book promises based on the disaster we have created for ourselves and all around us. And so all we know at this point is are absolutely in utter despair and something has to do something and we don't define at this point we're not even defining what God is we just know it's something that created us read that the word creator on the step seven prayer again back but at this point we know something greater than us that created us and we know that somehow that energy uh, we don't deserve it, but we'll humbly follow the directions given us and just do what we're supposed to do and feel whatever energy we can from those original ones. So this step must be taken in our hearts, not in our minds. How do you know that? Well, if you don't have a clue, by reason. Also know you didn't take it, by result, because things shift into see the world in a different way. Things don't quite look the same. Even 
very same thing. Because you're looking from your heart and not looking with your eyes. We do not, do not look with our eyes, look through our eyes. Not hear with our ears, hear through our ears. And what we hear through is something greater that comes. So if we look at something and we see that vision, that, um, that thing out there we're looking at, and we see it with God's eyes through us, it's a it will, be, it will be different than what it was when we try to see it through our own eyes, what we think. Again, it's hard to describe. And you'll not, it's like, it's like childbirth. You go and read every book there is. You talk to the big, best experts in the world on what is childbirth. You want to understand childbirth. I want childbirth. I'm ready. And... That first baby pops up, things all change. Now, what you know, now, body, that's where the step is. Know. A knowing that is not on this rational, logical, causal effect mode of way we perceive. Um, so, what has happened, though, what we do see, people around us, that how we've looked at life, now not how we looked at life. So the attitude we had towards our life, our fellows, and towards God's universe has changed. If something that was there is now not there, and something different, like a seedling, a seedling coming up from the ground, and it all. But we don't care. We're just trying to do whatever, whatever this energy is. We somehow want to get closer to somehow do even. Um, and then because of that, we can do things we can't do by ourselves. And we're not just talking about abstinence. We're talking about everything. So, okay, so the solution will be something radically different. Well, that should set, our, set us up straight and kind of look radically different. God, I just came in here to not eat compulsively. First, a diet. Now I just don't eat compulsively. And you're going to tell me I'm going to do something radically different? Yes. What it's going to be? A personality change. A profound, deep personality change will occur in you. You will not be the person you were. You will have to be a different person than you are. And that's very deep. So uh, as I've been taught, there are two deaths in program. The first death will occur in step one, and that's the death of food. Food as we've known it must die. Die. Because what we ate is not what any sane, logical, rational person would do, because of course we're insane, and it's toxic to our body. Toxic. They have to bear the consequences. But then there's a second death. We thought that was bad enough, but that's just but a beginning. So as part of step one, we must. Food must die. As we've known it, food must die, meaning it never is an option again for the rest of our lives, right? I mean, if it's dead, it's never, ever, ever. And when we fully accept that 100% with absolute perfection, it has dead. It's in the casket, and it's dead. One time we, uh, years ago, our, our group, we put on an event for the area, and we had somebody make a little hard cardboard box uh, fake casket, and our whole event was uh, we came in, and I act, had the big 
the robe on as the minister, and we had we had music playing appropriate, and people came in, and they came up and walked by the casket and threw in. We couldn't throw in actual food because that was heavy, but they had, you know, uh, pictures in magazines or things they had written, Barbie doll because she was anorexic, but they threw it in. They all came by. And, oh, they, you know, said, okay, here it is, and and we had our, our monologue, you know, sermon about it, and uh, afterwards we had the pallbearers, and they took it out and put it in one of the members' trunks, and she drove away and carried it out in symbolic fashion. It was kind of funny, but but it also was serious because we wanted to, in a symbolic way, show that it is dead. But now there's the second death. Second death, you may not read it in this paragraph, but the second death, death of self. And it's saying in this paragraph, catch it, that you will have another death. And this death is even more spectacular and miraculous. I mean, the food, the food's impressive. But this death, full personality as what it was, now let it die, and another one will take it. Now, I didn't say that you were going to go out there and, again, think it out rationally and decide and do X, Y, Z behavior, and now it dies. That's not true. Self-will never, ever will get rid of self-will. But, again, self-will never, ever will kill itself. We, a part of us, will not deliberately commit suicide. It will not happen. It's not going to happen. No matter what you do and what you say and how you try to figure it out, that's in your head again, not your heart. You're going to kind of try to create all these things. Won't happen. Self-will will not allow itself to kill itself. You won't pull it off. All your best efforts to get rid of it yourself won't work. The only way is a creator has to enter your heart in a way that's miraculous and comes through. You can't create that. You can't make it happen. So you say, well, you know, um, I've been trying. I've been trying so hard. And it seems to not be working. Well, that's the problem. Hard. Trying way too hard. And might be one of the many of us that you're not too dumb to work this program, but you're too No, there's going to be a death here. But it's not something where you go ahead and commit. Rather, this death will be each of the subsequent steps because each step reduction. Dr. Harry Tebow gave a speech, a famous speech in AA International Convention in 1955 St. Louis, Missouri and in there he talked about the happened, hitting bottom, render, ego reduction. I find those coincide perfectly Joe and Charlie's three things. What is the problem? Hitting bottom. And how do you get the ego reduction. But what we're going to do with this one, it's not going to be by our efforts again. What we're going to do is follow the exact precise direction of these original hundreds. And by doing exactly what they say and how to work each step, automatically as a result of doing what they do, the ego is reduced. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to, none of that. Simply do exactly what the book says. Just what it is. Not work your program. But work the program. If you work your program, you have ego running wild, 
and it won't work. But if you work the program as giving the adoration and gratitude to 100 people that figured it out and did it, you will, you will pay homage to them and the God that came through by doing exactly what they tell you to do. Exactly. And that ego slowly dies. It happens. You don't have to worry. Don't figure this one out. Follow your heart. Let your heart do it. And it just happens. Why? Because each step will bring God. Attitudes will change because God will come. God comes. Self-will will die of lack of oxygen. Because God is coming through and it just can't see. And ultimately then, God is coming through you. Have radically changed. No, you'll never have it where it'll always be God and you'll be on a mountaintop and that's not going to happen. But you will have the results dies such that God now shots. So all your ideas coming in in despair of wanting to get what you want, great because it's called absence. Okay, you want that. But if you want it, you won't get it. You want abstinence, that's why abstinence is that exception. The most important thing is our conscious consciousness. And when we completely acknowledge our powerlessness, that's, that's, that's getting conscious. And when we say, oh, I'm, you know, it's basically whatever you, I don't know how this all works, but I know something greater than me. That's more conscious. When you choose to go towards God, that's conscious. When you write down an inventory, it locks you. Give that away. It understands it's recovered that can help you. That's conscious contact. And when you're ready to let those defects be removed that you learned about in four and five, that. And then when you come to seven and humbly let God have all of you, whatever character rid of anything that blocks you from he'll do what he needs that God will work through you and people we've go and make him into that in Crete 10, 11, 12 same. so we don't have to worry about how we're going to die just to let it happen so this paragraph is very important so, um, so what's happened what it's saying here so it sounds great. I'm just telling you the part of it that you may not be aware of. It means that you, part of you will die now. And are you willing to let, uh, let you die? Not even knowing exactly what that's going to be and how it is, because that's in the next steps. But at this point, are you willing to allow the second death? Are you going to embrace that the sec- you're going to embrace death? Well, we don't like to embrace death, but we've already done it, step one, the proper way. We've already embraced death. So now we're being asked to embrace next death, which is death self-will, which is the thing that has been running the show and running chaos and havoc everywhere. We're going to let that die. So it's not been a quiet little something over in the corner barely saying something. It's with neon lights running like a tornado through everything that it touches. And we're willing to let that go. And that means you have to acknowledge that you are a mess. 
weren't a mess, you wouldn't be sitting on you wouldn't be on the phone today, you would be out doing the things you need to do and you wouldn't need You're a mess. That's why we're in program. We come in this program because we're a mess. So we have had what are called vital spiritual experiences, and that's what I've been talking about. And it is huge emotional displacements and arrangements. Huge. Huge, because something's dead and something else in that void and vacuum takes its place, which is God's will. What we do is self-will and God's will come. So all that we've known and all that we've considered and all we've thought about and all how we've lived is going to be going to die. And something else will take its place. We don't need to know what it is and how it will come about, because that's trying to That is... And then, of course, to make sure that we get it in case we didn't get it, we turn to page 26, and um, on 26, it's going to give us this. And it starts off with a certain American businessman, and that name is Roland Hazard. And this guy came from money, investment banking. So the family, even with the Depression, had some money. you got to have money if you go off and live in Europe for a year. Problem. And not don't you just not live with somebody. You go and live with somebody called Dr. Carl Jung. So who gave the, the, what is the problem? That was Dr. William Silkworth. Who gave uh, AA the solution? Dr. Um, so he meets Roland Hazard. And I just want to say thank God, because there were two major psychiatrists in all of the world. And these two that were actually the founders of psychology, there were two people. One was called Dr. Carl Young. And one was called Dr. Sigmund. Well, these two people, had a, they, they had one major, major key difference. And Dr. Sigmund Freud was an atheist. I don't mean he thought he, you know, God did not exist. If you believe that God exists, that was a sign of your neurosis and your pathology. It was a sign of your sickness, and it was a sign of your men, you were mentally God did not exist. Never existed. God would never that you even thought God existed. Well, and his ideas sprung from that belief. So, Doctor, fortunately, Roland Hazard goes to Europe, and thank God he didn't go and, ha- and hang out with Dr. Sigmund because we would not have AA if he had. That He would have had something he got there. Who knows what would have happened, but AA would not have been created. No, thank God we went to Dr. Carl Jung, or in Dr. Carl Jung, I guess the best thing, I saw a little clip of him. This is the very, very end of his life. I was interviewing him. I had noted, you know, Sigmund Freud and him being an atheist and and, um, and then Dr. Carl Jung, who came from the other opposite view. And he so the, the, the journalist said to Carl Jung, well, do you believe in God? And Jung looked up at him and looked right in the camera and said, I do not believe I know God. And that is the essence of what the people come to know God. Art, that's in a way that cannot even. So thank God this guy, Roland Hazard, ends up with Carl Jung. I don't have time to talk about Carl Jung's story that got him to that relationship with um, but that's what happened. And all of his ideas come from basis of spirituality. So 
also call it other names and generation and all. They didn't have the word spirituality back then. They didn't really use that term. Um, it doesn't. It didn't exist. They had different terminology, but that's what he was. So his whole work of psychology comes from the idea of then causes us to have not neurotic and neurosis naturally ill. If we God. So thank God he shows up and talks to Carl Jung, and this guy goes and spends a year with him. No, he's got it now. He has it. He has intellect. Intellect tells him exactly what he needs because he's come here. He's trying to figure it out, just like I said before. He comes. He tries to learn it. He figures out the ra- rational, logical things to do. What is the cause of this to lead to this? He's got all this information from Carl Jung. The two top ones in the co- in the world he's got from Carl Jung. He now knows. He goes back to the U.S. He's got it. He's and just like Bill W. in his story, from the very first time that he met Dr. Silkworth and he was hospitalized there, he left that hospital, if you remember, and he had it too. He had knowledge. Not the knowledge from the heart, head knowledge. And as both of them left, one, Bill Wilson left the hospital, Roland Hazard left Europe, they both left with knowledge. They had it. Higher than a kite, egomania running crazy. You'll see us in program. And people will come in and they'll go, oh, my God, my mother. And then you'll come back, oh, I'm doing great. I'm losing my weight. Everything's going good. But you know what? They didn't hit bottom. They think they've got it now. They think with that, that knowledge that they are now doing good. They're losing weight. They're feeling great. Oh, my God, I'm on a high. In fact, they are farther away from God than when they walked in the door because they have not changed the belief that if they do enough thought process, they'll get what they want, which is called abstinence. So they both didn't want to drink. They thought with all this knowledge, it was what happened to both of them? Well, we know that both of them, Paige tells us what happened to Roland Hazard. We can go back and read Bill's story. They both drank again because they didn't hit bottom. Rather, they had sucked dry the energy from all those around them who were trying to help them and tried to use it to, again, control outcomes. So he comes back, drinks again. Now he comes with a different attitude. He comes back to Carl Jung. Now he is feeling hopeless. He comes back. His attitude has shifted. He's already begun. He does not know it. And he comes back and he says to Carl Jung, oh, my God, what happened? What's, what's going on here? You know, I did my best, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so now if we go to page 27 on the second paragraph, we'll now have the conversation between Roland Hazard and And this, these next couple paragraphs here, is again going to tell us exactly what it said on page 25. Now we're going to read it again, but we're going to read it through the story of the creation of AA. So the creator now, this is the creator of AA. I believe AA was created by God, God himself. And in this it says here, the doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. So understand, we get to a certain point there is not one single case that this guy, Carl Jung, top of the top, I can more than Dr. Sigmund Freud for obvious reasons, but he couldn't find one person that could recover through effort, self-will. He had never seen one single case recover through And we have from his life, if you study it, that he had to come to realize that he could not ever like He had to give up self-will. And he found God. So he finds that this guy isn't going to recover all of this knowledge. 
and Ren felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him flying. Actually, they had. Self-will, that's what was actually happening. And he said to the doctor, is there no exception? Is there no exception? Like, hey, can I be the exception? Can I be that one where I don't have to surrender? Uh, but the doctor said, he got a response. He said, no, wait a minute. Yes, there is exceptions. But this is the only way these exceptions occur. They occur in cases such as yours that have been occurring since early times. That tells us that spirituality was not invented in 1935 for those that are arrogant to think that AA is the all problems at all for all people at all times. Spirituality existed before AA. Spirituality was besides AA. They're not in competition. Let's all every there's many many things that have worked. So he's saying here there are since even early times before AA people stopped drinking, but they still had the same common. They had to let self will go, but they may have done it in other methods. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. Aha, same exact words. Did we not say effective spiritual experiences back on, on 25? Aha, he says the very words. Bingo, we should note that. Vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men were suddenly cast to one side, including a new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate. Ah, so we are reading the same thing, but in different words, and we're getting exactly what it was first said. The origination of what is the solution, the very first conversation where it hit, where that's what, what happened, was, yes, that was back in the 30s. It was Roland Hazard, and it was Dr. Carl Jung in Zurich, Switzerland. That's where it, that's where it comes from, because Roland Hazard, as we read more of that history, comes back to the U.S., and he knows what the solution is now. And he did not drink to his death in 1945. And he tried to find a group that would get him the solution. How could he get the solution? He already knew what it was now. And he found a group called the Oxford um, He was in New York, joined. He happened to be uh, in a, at a summer home. Um, and there was a man named Ebby Thatcher, had kind of a dilapidated summer home out there. He had run his wanted him. He was drunk. He also happened to be mate, high school schoolmate and friends. Uh, he happened to be in another cottage, and we can go through that whole story. Don't have time for that. But anyway, they find each other, and Roland Hazard lets him know what he knows, takes him to New York, and gets him in connect, connected with the Oxford. Now, Ebby Thatcher now has what is how to get it, as Roland Hazard has, and Ebby then begins to think, well, I know a guy named Bill, and I hear he's in bad shape. So uh, that's story. Ebby comes and how to get So, um, but this is the story. And in case we didn't get it again, we even get it a third time. It didn't come in the first edition, but in the, but in the second edition, they added something called uh, Vital Spiritual Experience, back of the book, two pages, appendix, will tell us again a third time. My God, we got it three times here. So what is the solution? I've gone on, gone on and on and on, and I'm never going to get these pages done. Okay, I mean these two chapters. But the point of this chapter is we have to have some awareness. But the key is, after we read this, that this awareness will have to come through our hearts and not our minds. So you can come on a vision for you, and you can study it and listen to it, and okay, that means that, and that means that, and still not get it because you're trying to understand it from a part that will not, is not where the solution is. And that piece does not 
come from logic, rational approach. It is not a causal factor where this thing causes this and then this thing causes this. This knowledge comes in a way that is without, it, it doesn't come in a logical form frequently. It's factually completely illogical. It's uh, one day, and this has happened to me, I'll open my mouth and out of my mouth will come words that I didn't know existed in there. Now, where did that come from? That was better than anything I was thinking to say. I mean, I can't believe how well that came out. Conversely, the, I'll, be, I'll be doing something, and all of a sudden I'll end up doing something, and I'm like, how did that come about? I mean, I, can you, I, how did that happen? I, that's, more than, that's more than I'm capable of doing. And I trust, trust me on this. If something happens like that, and you don't know where it comes from, it didn't come from you. Because if it came from you, you'd know where it came from. But if that happens, it came from something greater than you. And that's the moment that God came right through you. And that's what the solution is. And every day you're abstinent, God's coming. And it's happening. Not because you're asking for it and trying to figure it out and make sure God delivers it to you, but because you have ceased to think that that even is alive. It is now dead and you die. So it is about a different level where it happens. Now, more about alcoholism. As I interpret it, these next two chapters are going to cover the particular, if you look at step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us. There are two pieces on that step that we want to fight. First is a power greater than ourselves. We don't want a power greater than ourselves because we want self-will to live. We don't want it to die. And then the second part, which really was like fingernails breaking across the chalkboard, was restored to sanity meant that I was in I wouldn't need to be by if, if I was that way. If I was sane, I don't need to be restored to it. Restored to sanity means you are not sane. And so this chapter is going to cover the issue of it's going to go through the whole process for you to understand and completely accept, not in your head again, but in your heart. Easier than a loon. Not only when it comes to food which is obvious, it's very concrete, it's material, it's a food object. We see it being done, we see what happens, we see the body fat. Waddle, that's not a healthy weight. Okay, so we see the consequences. But there's more craziness than that. That's but a beginning of seeing how crazy we are. Because we've lived a life of self-will, and we come to fully know and understand and then accept the unbelievable damage we've done to ourselves and by living on a life self sufficiency self And we live in a culture, maybe the culture most driven by this belief that we can make it if we pull up our pull us up by the bootstraps. Anybody can be president. Blah 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 blah. That's all the stuff we hear. And so we come from a side that inundates. We'll be inundated with these but for us, we take them to such extremes that we can't come back from them, those extremes. We have to let it die. So this chapter is going to cover the whole thing. <clears throat> it's, going to, it's going to quickly review step one. <clears throat> On page 2030, it says, um, second paragraph, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. First step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, presently maybe, has to be smashed. So it's it's going to review some basic concepts with step one, and it's really going to spend the rest of the chapter 
telling you first on these first couple pages what is what does it mean, and then it gives you examples. And there'll be four examples. And sober for 25 years. Then we have Jim, Jay Walker, and then we have Fred. Each one continues to give us more examples. Just hammer home that we're crazy. Are crazy. And so, it is a review of step one, as I see it, although I know some people see step one, but I find it a review, and I have already done a talk on this for you. So go and look at that, listen to that. So I won't really cover it because I don't have time. Uh, and then we agnostics. Uh, we agnostics then is the first part of that step. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. Uh-oh, means we're going to have to believe in a power greater than ourselves. You see, that's the initial that's the step. Come to understand what this problem is, and we come to understand what this that we can believe that there's a power greater than ourselves. Because I don't care if we, you know, I went to church, and yes, you know, I could sit there and I'd listen and talk about God, but I really didn't. Because my actions and my thoughts all said, I'm God. That's the truth. I believed I was God. I ran a life believing I was God. I didn't really put it in those words, but looking back, obviously that's what I did. Nothing was more important than me, and I was the center of the universe that around me, not you. what I thought. So, um, so on we agnostic that if we look at five first paragraph, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. So that's a review of steps one and two. So this chapter here is going to talk about problems we have greater than us part of why self will run right. And it'll spend a whole chapter and going into ways in which it can happen. And Bill will go back and mention again how it happened to him. All you have to do is be willing to believe. You don't have to have more than at this point. You can just believe willing to believe. Willing to believe that something can run the show besides you. Just the willingness will cause something and even if you don't really like this, you know, know and are you willing to add and move the rest of the steps that to Well, with all of this, um, if we go and look at step two proposition, so now I'm going to go to page 53, second paragraph. We've, we've learned now, up to now, we're kind of learning the various ways one can kind of come to some awareness of a God greater than ourselves. So now Bill comes and he asks us a question, paragraph. Now, usually in the book, you'll find Bill asking a question and providing you the answer. He'll say something kind of rhetorical question with an answer that follows. But the thing about this paragraph, he asks us a question and he doesn't give us the answer. Um, say that now we're question of faith, but he doesn't really have us answer question. Say, so I like um, I've learned from. They call this the step two proposition. So what that means at this time we're going to pause. Learned a lot. Our solution is learned 
that we are insane, and we learn that we have to have a power greater than ourselves. So we come to a point in our program where we're going to stop and pause for a minute and ask ourselves a question. And so we need to do that and see how we stack up. And it says here, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or isn't. What was our choice to be? So this inevitably is what happens. I'll give my sponsorees this, and they inevitably say, well, God is everything. I said, well, let's, let's look at that. Because the answer to the question is in how you live your life and thought process, not in what you think is the right answer, because it sounds good. It sounds really nice. Everything. Well, if God's everything, you wouldn't be eating out of your neighbor's trash can. That's what, I mean, okay, obviously God is. So when we really, really, really look at our lives up to this point, as we're now looking at step two and understanding what the solution is, the reality is God is not. Because why? We think we're everything. We think we're God. We're running a life of self-will. God is nothing in our life. God is nothing. So take out a piece of paper, draw two lines, so you have three columns. On column one, you're simply going to ask, what is it that you don't give to God or unwilling to give to God? Point, you're at step two. You haven't even taken step three. You're going to have something. Oh, it's going to be things like my children, or it could be my husband, it could be my work, it could be finances. I'm, I'm, not willing to give, I'm not willing to give the food, actually. I thought I'd taken step one, but now let me look, really look at this. I'm not willing to give my weight or my weight loss to God or whatever. You've got plenty of things you can put them down. Right, go down a column. Write down a column. Don't write across. Right, any and everything. Trust me. If you gave everything to God, you wouldn't be sitting today listening to this talk. You wouldn't need to because you were giving everything to God. You know you're not giving everything. Let's be honest here. You're not giving things to God or unwilling to give them to God. And then the next column, you're going to head that column up, and you're going to say, well, how come? I'm not willing to give it to God. Or what am I afraid of? It says fearlessly we're looking at this. So fearfully, we don't give things to God. Whatever thing it's about. So how come you don't give this to God? Put it down. A few words now. We're not, this is not a big thing. Just a few words because when you give it away to your sponsor, you're going to... A couple words. How come? Oh, I don't want to give it away to my... My child, you know, is drinking too much and I can't give it to God. i got to do whatever I can to try to take care of him. I love him. I, he's i got to take care of him. I can't give that to God. Look at the mess my son's making. So I'm, I'm not willing to give God because I, I don't think what I'll get what I want, which is I want my son to stop drinking and get DOIs and, get, and losing his job and blah, blah, blah. No, I've got to take care of that. Whatever it is. Write down the column. Write them all down. Then the third column, say, what would God have me be? I did not have this. God have me be. And what we want to do immediately is what would God have us do? Because you see, self-will wants us to do something. Understand? Self-will is going to try to come out in this exercise in spite of ourselves. I'll give this direction, and they still will answer. What would have God have me do? Now, what would God have me What would God have me person I be? I did not have this fear in my life. If I didn't have it, and it didn't exist, and God ran the show, what would I be? And then when you look at that and you do that calm down, that third column, now you're ready to give this to your sponsor and you read across. And you start reading these. 
And as you honestly do this step two proposition, what inevitably will happen is that you will find the answer to the question, God is everything or nothing. What was our choice to be? And the answer, honestly, is our choice is God is nothing. God isn't. God isn't. Because this is there and this is there and this is there and all these things, these reasons. And I was willing to come walking in the door and use it as a diet club and lose some weight. I was then willing to not be a compulsive eater. Do that. But have God run the show? You've got to be kidding me. What am I saying? Crazy. I wasn't willing to do that. But at this point, at this paragraph, I have to begin. This is the beginning. Step four was going to cover this a lot more in depth. This is just the sprinkling, just getting us going. Look at exactly God is nothing. 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 That God is nothing. Honestly answer the question. God's nothing. Okay. So arrived at this point, realizing that God is nothing, that was the choice that had been up to our life at that moment as we first take step two. We are squarely confronted with the question of faith. Couldn't duck, duck the issue anymore now. Now we realize, you see that, that next paragraph means, but if we've really done the previous paragraph the way it's meant to have been done, studied and then done the exercise, then at that point, some of us, we finally are ready now and we're willing to go ahead because we really do want God to be something because we see what happened when we made it God, nothing. God was. Wasn't our God? Again, you don't need to. So, at this point, we're willing to say, yeah, God's nothing. God is nothing. And somehow, been a complete. God is nothing. in all this. Casual. In our hearts, we have to That means. So on page 55, now after we've taken the step two propositions, now we come into the pages where we're really going to look at well, if we now know that God is nothing, but we want God to be something, where is God? And people in program have said, can't find God, they're trying, blah, blah, blah. Well, again, it's intellectual. It's intellectual. You're not going to find God intellectually. You might have the most pompous arguments possible about what this means. That doesn't Because this step, as you read paragraph 25, has to be taken in our That's where we're So it's not going to be found, our thought process. For our thought process is the same. That in the, the chapter about alcoholism, chapter B. Our thought process is So, go to the second paragraph on page 55. So, where do we find God? And here, I, you know why, you know, honestly, let me tell you honestly, why, why is it we can't find God? The answer is God's not. Okay, so this paragraph on page 55 says, actually, we're fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, child is the fundamental idea of God. 
It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it is for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts. Is we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we had for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was much a fact as we were. We found, this is we found the great reality deep down within us. And the last analysis is only there that he may be found. It so with us. So deep down within us means it's not going to come from the head. That's not deep down within us. Deep down within us, not head. Step must be taken with our heart, just as on and on. We must be willing to go downward. We've already learned from the step two proposition, two t- pages before, that we live in a life that underneath anger, all of that chaos. But in 55, we find out that below the anger, deeper than anger and fear, deeper still, much deeper, find the great reality. There we will. In fact, only there will we God. And only if we are willing to go there. And only if we do that, ever counter Which is death. All subsequent deaths are met Every step God, it will not be in any of your thoughts. I will once God's found within and comes out and try humbly as best you can to but you will never lost there. This five tells us what it is. Example on twenty-eight, page fifty-five. Now we've done the step two. Where God is, and are we willing to let ourselves? Been there and was lost, lost. In the rest of our lives, life was always meant to be at our birth and then ends at our physical death. Take us step is meant. home, God lives. So we understand this. Because of that state we're in, now turn again to go to this next step. At the next step, cut to the chase. Doors in front. Door, problem. And now there's no door number three. There are these two doors. And now we know what the problem is, and we know what the and we can now go back into the food agony, pain, ever had before, because now you're not ignorant. Now you know and you 
all you out there had a little period where you didn't eat compulsively, now you're back in that food. That door. No better. Do you know And you're so then you're ready to take so are we willing to embrace reluctantly Ruth, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's Leah here. It seems like your line is cutting out. Is there a way you can reposition yourself, perhaps, that we okay. could hear you? Is that better? Yes, go ahead. Let's give it a try. Okay, sorry about that. But anyway, I'm actually done. I was turning it over to you, Leah. Maybe that's why I was cutting out. It was time for me to cut out. Okay. Tell me to shut up. <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, your thorough explanation of step two and sharing some of your personal experience regarding the uh, this step. Uh, now we open the line for any questions that you might have regarding step two or anything that Ruth shared. Of course, uh, she developed the step from, from chapters two, three, and four this morning, so anything that you might have on your mind regarding the, the text in, in those chapters, and you can pose your question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Hi, this is Rena. I have a question. Um, could she please provide the PIN number for Step 1 and her presentation for Step 2 today? Uh, we will take care of that momentarily. Thank you. You're welcome. Mhm. Any other questions uh, regarding what was shared this morning by Ruth on step two? Hi, this is Jill. Can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. Great. Yeah. Um. That was amazing, but there was a lot of a lot of fading in and out. So I just wanted to ask. Um, there were two things. One, when you were talking about the three columns, trying to figure out if God is everything, when you got to column three, it was fading out a lot, and I think you said, what would God have me be? But can you just clarify what it was that you were saying, uh, how, how you would answer column three? Yeah, column three, what we want to do when we get to column three, we want to say, what would God have me do because we want to do something that is we want self-will to to do things so we even when i give this exercise to my sponsorees they'll still want to make it be do even though they heard be and they wrote that down so at this point we want to know what god would have us be not what god have us do because we don't have enough ability to know what god would have us do we're still self-will run riot self will run riot, then we're going to try to answer that question to still figure out what we can do to get what we want, which means we're still not fearful, and thus that's what the whole purpose of this proposition is to step and say, well, how, how are we fearful? By answering that question, by answering that column the way it was, it was not meant. 
want to say, what would God have me be? If I didn't have that fear in my life, what, what, what would I be? Who would I be if I didn't have that fear? Okay. That's how you answer so it's just to understand that it's not to then go to the next step of, yeah, at some point, what should I do? Because we're not at that point yet. No. In fact, doing is what got us into the mess we are, correct? Yes. Every time we felt not comfortable and we were not at ease, then what we did is we ate compulsively. So we already know how to do things badly. So we're not going to be able to pull off answering the question how to do it according to God's will because we're all looped into this whole thing about doing things. Stop out what we're going to do. Except we can't. Nothing, nothing. Got it. And are you are you giving out your telephone number? Did I miss that? Are you doing that at the end of the meeting or you're not doing that? Yeah, I do, and I am on the contact list also. Number is 618-463-6. I'm sorry, 463 what? 0619. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Anyone else? Or yes. one to My name is Patty, and I'm brand new. And I want to say that the uh, speaker was awesome. That the speaker was awesome. Can Can you hear me? Yes, yes. We're okay. going to take care of that echo. Go ahead. Um, that the speaker was incredible, but um, I think I missed more than I heard because of the audio. And so I was just wondering, I've never been on an OA meeting where there was a speaker. Will I be able to hear the speech in its entirety someplace? Yes, and I will give out that information, yes. Uh, Just hold on and... At the end of this question-and-answer period, I'll give you all the information in order to do that. Okay, wonderful. We're glad to have you here. Welcome. Anyone else with questions this morning regarding Step 2? Star 1 to unmute. Yes, hi. My name is Debbie, um, and I I also really, really enjoyed this um, I think I got a lot out of this, um, the speaker, out of uh, what Ruth had to say. But I'm a little, still a little bit unclear with this three columns thing. Um, so the end of it is we really don't have an answer. Like we're not, you know, this is just sort of leading us to the answer. But I, I'm not, I, I'm still not clear what I'm writing in the first two columns. Like what am I doing over here? Okay, so actually you do have an answer to the question on that page. Question, the question being asked here is, it's, it simply says, it says, what was our choice to be? God either is or isn't, what was our choice to be? And then the answer is, our choice is God is nothing. Our choice has been that. Up to this point in our lives, that has been our choice. Um, not been consciously aware of it, but our life has shown that that was our choice. So... You have a clear awareness, or should have at this point, God is nothing. That's why we're in the mess world. God was everything. We wouldn't be here because we wouldn't need it because we been, and we never would have gotten to So the first column, you're basically just going to write anything, everything, which you're not giving that, whatever that is, person, place, or thing, 
you're not giving that to God or you're unwilling to give it to God. So just list any and everything that you're not giving to God or unwilling to give. They are. So in other words, things I'm trying to control. Things you're trying to control? Or you may perceive that things are controlling you. However you may look at it at this point. Understand you're at step two. You're just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not too far in the game yet. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of awareness of God coming through you because and if there's a lot of awareness of God coming through you, you again wouldn't need to be here. So you're just going to put down any and everything that you're not, um, you're not giving to God. You're not going to give it to God. Or you seem to be unable to give it to God. Or you would wish to give it to God, but you can't, but it doesn't happen. Because you get anxious, you still come raining it in and say, I've got to do something now. What is it you're not giving to God or unwilling to give? That's column one. Then in the next column, you're going to put, how come? Why are you not giving to God? How come you're scared to give it to God? Last column, what would God have you be if you didn't have this fear? If this fear didn't exist in your life, what would you be? Be something different than you are. So write the columns down. Do not write across. Like step four, you want to go down. Sponsor, you read it across. But don't do that now. Is that clear? Yes, it is. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. Anyone else? Hi, Leah. This is Amy W. from California. May I ask a question? Of course. Go ahead. Thank you so much, Ruth, for your share. So inspiring. And I'm new uh, to OA, well, last August. But it hasn't been until these phone meetings that I've put all my chips in, or felt like that anyway. But my question is this. On some level, does I mean, even like a logistical level of your life, doesn't self-will enter? So I'm just going to use this as an example, and it's perhaps kind of pat, but um, if you're building a house, I mean, to some degree it's your self-will on what you want, like what countertops you want and where you want your windows facing and what kind of windows and so I guess, like, on some level, like, if your kids have to be to school at 8 a.m., you know, you're getting them up, it's your, I guess I'm wondering, like, is it always that you're giving things over, everything over? Last example would be, like, I was once talking to my sponsor, and I said, she was running a half marathon, I said, congratulations, and she said, um, um, it's due to my HP. And I just, yes. We're given these healthy bodies, thank God. And but to some degree, she chose to run, right? She chose to run the the race and do it. So I am powerless. My life is completely unmanageable. But is I guess I'm just trying to. And again, I am intellectualizing, rack my brain over this idea of self-will versus God's will. Thanks. So um, your countertops in your house. Uh, self-will would mean you would ultimately uh, make sure it worked out your way or try to manipulate people through kindness and generosity 
this to get still what you wanted because you best. Or you think you know diddly squat, utterly submissive, don't have a voice, and allow people to run all over you because you can't possibly figure it out. Either extreme, God is not there. So your issue of your countertops, if one, trying to find a way, you're just going to bulldoze your way to get what you want or find a way nicely to still get them to believe in what you think, all those approaches itself will run riot. Um, in this example, it would be um, the idea at that point is, God, you know, I'm not running the show. Show, this is a decision made by me. partner, children, you know, they can have some input to what age they are, and they have some input in all of this. And we come to collective side. Um, not going to always have to be my way. So you can have the same little issue with the countertop, but one becomes family's decision, ultimately. Or you simply allow somebody else to make it, and then you life of those countertops aren't what you wanted, but you never really spoke up. <laughs> so it still comes out where um, your, your, your idea to try to please people and not even speak mind now has something on thing, one extreme or the other. So in something as simple as that, still is God behind it because the best decision is God's decision. Tap into that energy and let that energy be that which make this. The decision may be identical to as far on the outer plane. What you see looks the same, but the, how you got to that decision could be vastly different and they're completely opposite of each other. So somebody's running a marathon. Why did she say that? I don't know. But it could be simple that if it had been left to God, I'd still be, you know, sitting there with the remote control, flipping channels, eating my, my chocolate, and, you know, weighing probably 100 pounds more than I weigh today. And I wouldn't be out running a marathon. So, yes, she did put her feet to the pavement. She put the shoes on. She got up there and was running. But to get her there was a life dedicated to God, this, a life dedicated to God, her body became in a fit enough condition that she could actually run a marathon. All the miracles that preceded this, not the moment of running the marathon, everything, the thousands of decisions that got her to that moment that were decisions that God, through her, was able to do something, change her over, she could actually do. Does that, make, does that sound different? Amy, you might have to star one to unmute. Um, thank you. Yes, I, I really appreciate that. That it, I am, I get that. Thank you very much, and thanks for your share. It was amazing. Thanks. Thank you, Amy, for the question. Ruth, before we proceed, do you have a headset or something that you can adjust, or you're not on a headset? I'm not on a headset. Is it still coming in and out? On occasion. On occasion. I'm listening to me, and I, I'm sounding fine, but I'm not hearing with your ears, so I'm sorry about it. <laughs> Every word that we hear is a gem. Every word that we hear is a gem. That's Too bad for we sure. hear the two words before and after it, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? We just give it to God. <laughs> Anyone else have a have a question on step two or any anything that was shared this morning? came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 
Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Carolyn. Carolyn, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. This is Carolyn from Massachusetts. Thank you so much for your share, Ruth. It was awesome. And I really like, I'm going to use your call. I'm going to use that um, column thing with my sponsees. And I, I just wanted to ask the um, the question, um, how you develop the the whole column um the going back from the one chapter to the other and helping them to see how you need to not just read the book as it's written, but to use it text-wise and going back and the going back and forth so that they're not confused. Am I making uh, myself well, first, clear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the first question, how did I develop the columns? I didn't. I copied that. I told you at the very beginning, almost everything you hear from me, I copied from somebody else. So this is another example. Two big book thumpers, um, long time sober in AA, and um, this is what they did, and I really liked it. And um, um, as far as um, second question, I, I think... The best answer is uh, food will kill them. So we don't need to con- convince people against their will um, that they're not really getting it or they're not having what the, pro- the book promises will happen for them. The food will kill them, and before it does, hopefully they'll uh, become more humble enough to be willing to uh, read it as it was meant to be written. You know, it was written. Um, it's not our job to convince them. I mean, we can give them the information, but ultimately they have to embrace what the book says. But when they embrace it at that deep level, they are not reading it with their head as much as they're reading it from their heart. And you can you can hear it in people's voice, can't you, Carolyn? You can hear there's there's something welling up from within them of love and passion and excitement about what they're reading that is beyond an intellectual exercise. Exactly, so when they're just reading it. Reading it. Yeah, yeah, you you can you can hear it in their voice. Even on a phone meeting, you can hear it in their voice. Thank you and, so but much. The, but the ultimate way is you can tell by the act by the result. If the actions are continuing to be the same actions that pull them deeper, deeper into them themselves, and and they don't change, and they don't get out of the food or they get out of the food, but they're like a dry drunk, then they've read the book, um, but they've not really read it with their heart. They've just read it with their head. So I guess you know the food will kill them. They don't do it. Well, it looks like, you know, at that point, when they're willing to admit that it's not working. Thank you so much. Very helpful. Thank you for the question. Who's next? Hi. Hi, this is Sheila. Sheila, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. Ruth, thank you so much for your good orderly direction. Um, a question that I have for you is when I've had these experiences, I guess like um, you look to feel that every day, and I think you did mention that. It's not something that you would feel every day, but there's definitely a shifting in the essence of who you are and how you feel, and you could draw back on those occasions. Um, I guess my question is once you've made that shift, does it wither, wither at all, or is it just solid in your footing and you know it's there? and it never goes away, or I guess you have to constantly, every day, work the steps to ensure that it stays there. 
guess that answers my own question. But I just wanted to get your thoughts around um, once you've had that experience, maintaining it and holding on to it and recognizing it, if it's shifting back another way. Thanks. Well, I, you know, rivers meander, and so do we. Um, rivers do not flow in straight lines. And so I find my life and people I work with, they, they do meander. And it is part of our human condition where we seem to just kind of meander down that path. But we're getting down there. We're going downstream. We're, we're getting, the, you know, the ocean. Uh, but it, it does take some twists and turns along the way. But it's still always moving below the water that, in that analogy. So I see it that way. Um, no, we don't always have as strong a connection all time, but we're never off. We're never out of that ocean. We're still we're still moving in that ocean. Stop trying to swim upstream like we did before we got in program. So, kind of go with the flow. We kind of um, let it direct us. And hard to describe, but still moments where. And they can come; they do come and go. I don't have them every day. That's not true at all. That would be crazy. I mean, I wish I did, but I'm not telling you that. It, there are days, um, there are moments in time that there's no words to describe them. My connection mm-hmm. with God, I, I can't begin to put them in. I, I couldn't even attempt it. And then there are other times where it's kind of like dry. It's kind of like that river. Sometimes there's a drought. Sometimes there's flooding. And sometimes it's just running kind of just like it does most of the time. So sometimes I'm flooding. <laughs> I'm emotionally kind of kind of not doing well. I mean, I can see that, you know, this is not healthy thought process you're having here. That you're not you're not reacting for what the situation calls for. You're reacting too strongly. And mm-hmm. underneath it, you're not maybe even aware that you're going to have to look at Ruth because you're overreacting to what this situation calls for. I'm flooding. And the other times there's drought where I I um kind of be kind of dead to things. I'm I'm just in a drought. And in the big picture of 26 years I've been abstinent and, the, and all this time, I've had droughts and I've had floodings, but most of the time I'm in stream going with God taking me down that stream. Greater. God there. So um, it, it, does, it does ebb and flow, and we're willing to accept that. You know, sometimes, and I, this is just my take on it today, sometimes we go through that are that are very painful. Um, they, they feel suffering, and yet we're not even doing it. About, it's not even about us. See, I used to think everything was about me. That had nothing to do with me. I went through that experience in order to better understand that some 17 years later, I am going to be helping some person or people in a way that I could never envision today because I'm not even anywhere near what I know I'm going to be later in my contact with God. So today I go through this moment in time um, for a greater purpose to serve someone else, and it never was about me. It never was my, my – it was just for me to become aware of and able to help at a level I could not have helped if I had not had the experience today. So who are we to try to figure it out? We can't. And um, something that I do now, and I would never, this never occurred to me. I'm a Red Cross disaster relief volunteer. So I was in Joplin, and I'm Oklahoma City. 
And um, my training is mental health, so um, I, I had no idea what was going to happen. I came in Joplin, and I, I said, what do you want? And they, um, after a few days, put me on something. You would call it a condolence team. But I'm on a team in which every day I went out, worked with people that lost loved ones. They... And what happened... Um, Something happened that time that had never happened before. I've had moments where I felt God, getting a sense from God what to do. But on this particular situation, um, I um, get assigned phones so they can keep track of us. But I got a call on the Red Cross phone and um, asking me to be on the team. And I remember opening my mouth, and as I opened my mouth, I heard God and myself a yes together. I've never had that happen where or since where God and I said yes. And I felt God was going to take all of us, not just me, all of the members. We had to see these, all these people in two weeks and they died. So a lot of us and God said yes. And I knew that I was the vehicle that God was to do my part. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe it. I, I just was blown away by it. I didn't tell her, but that's what happened. And a hard, tragic event. Now, did I know years ago that some things in my life I was going to go through in order to prepare me for that experience in Joplin, help people at a level I couldn't have I hadn't had that previous experience, absolutely. Well, I knew that day after day I would create a sacred space for them fully safe and secure in whatever way I would hold that space, let them have that experience however they wanted to have that experience. How could I do that? Because I had already done it for myself. that from God program. We don't know our story. Each day task and assignment by God later faithful enough by that service decades later. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Ruth. I'll just take this moment. Could I ask a question? Yes, one moment. Please, I'll just take a second to uh, let everybody know that today's share ID number for today's meeting is 4799. 4799. And Share ID is three six six five three six six five can be found on the website. Go ahead, Nicole, with your question, please. Hi, my name is Nicole. I'm a compulsive overeater, and um, I'm just wondering, how do you find a balance? There's um, certain uh, trains of thought that we are powerless over food. Um, 
but that that means that we cannot make any food decisions on our own, um, and we must, you know, um, give it to somebody else. And I, I, I struggle sometimes with, um, and I don't know if you uh, can, can answer this, but if you have just where, where that balance is, is like, you know, I am powerless over food. I have lost that freedom of choice, um, as the big book says. But um, where, where does it come in the balance of, you know, I, I don't have any control over my food, whereas it's a, you know, knowing that powerless and being able to give that over to God. I don't know if I'm being really clear if that makes sense. Um, but that, that's, uh, that's kind of my, my question. Well, I, I'll, I mean, I'll give you an analogy. You know, when you first learn to drive, some people, when they take driver's ed, it really is the first time behind the wheel. You think you should just go out by yourself and go into big, major traffic, and it all just will work out, I'm sure. Well, it won't. You'll probably kill somebody. That's why you have a you have a, a instructor right next to you. So, you know, we're kind of like that. We screwed it up. We've been like driving blind all our life and just messed everything up. We have to unlearn uh, all the bad habits we had driving in rush hour traffic. We have to unlearn them. We don't even start like new. We've been screwing around this whole time. It's kind of like that. So when we come in, we admit that we've blown it. We have no ability to have any right thinking thing insane around our food. Our thoughts are insane. Our actions are insane. You're clueless. Proper portion sizes and a side of beef for lunch. Um, we're clueless. We really know little of what the disease is about and how the disease manifests in our life. Because, again, not even aware that we have the disease before we walk in. Or we do, we still have little awareness what it's about. So we're willing to let somebody else guide us. Why wouldn't we? If we can't pull it off, why would we think we need to struggle giving it away? The real reason is because we don't want to give up control, which we don't have anyway. See, that's the false belief. I have control. I can't give it up. You don't have control. If you had control, you wouldn't do all the crap you did with your food. So let's just be honest. You don't have any diddly squat. So if you don't have any control at all, then let somebody else help you. That doesn't mean you say that person is God. Oh, because that, if you do that, you say, okay, here it is. You just run the show and tell me everything. Well, all you're doing then is trying to transfer your addiction to food to your addiction to a sponsor. And you're treating your sponsor just like you treat your food. You have the same relationship with your sponsor you have with your food. That's not, that's not it either. God, not a sponsor. Sponsor's never a God. But you do have somebody that's recovered that can support you and point out all the, the potholes you're driving over, driving over them, you need somebody. If you don't think you need anybody, you probably haven't taken steps. Thank you very much. That's really helpful. Thanks, Nicole. Anyone else? Hi. Hello? Yes. This is Fantastic Bobby from Florida, and I'm fantastic because that is what my life is today. And I just want to thank the speaker so much. I've been in the program for 37 years, and I've been asking it for 15 years, 
and I moved to Florida eight years ago, and I left behind my uh, my big book. I decided that uh, I don't know. I just I don't use the big book in my program. I felt like it was instilled in me for many years, and I used the thoughts of it, but I don't use the big book. Well, this morning, I went online on my iPad and pulled up the big book for free online and followed along with the speaker, and she was fabulous, fantastic, and wonderful, and brought me, I had an awakening, maybe I had my spiritual awakening, but... I know that because of the speaker today and coming to this program and listening to you all, I was, I'm was i getting ready to go to the OA convention. I hope the speaker is, too. And um, uh, I wanted to kind of prepare myself and be really abstinent to 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 go there as I go to the, the convention. And um, just I just thank the speaker so much, and I will work the columns when today and um, – Thank you all for being there and listening and sharing. Every part of your share uh, becomes a part of someone's help. So uh, thank you so much. And I pass. Thank you, Bobby. I'm in agreement with you. Fabulous, fantastic, and wonderful. (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. Any other questions this morning? Rose? Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Leah. Uh, Ruth, I, I don't have a specific question, but I could not hang up the phone without um, thanking you from the bottom of my heart, and especially in the um, what you shared about what happened to you when you were on the Red Cross um, condolence call um, when you were asked to do that, and um, what happened to you when you replied, and all the questions that were formulating in my mind here as we came into the question and answer period, um, you know, between uh, your presentation of all these chapters, um, the questions are being answered, uh, but personally, I felt that when you hear that um, experience of what happened, that um, your own belief in a power greater than yourself was really communicated to my heart, for sure. And um, without you or I having anything to do with it, I, it is it says, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations. And that so came alive as you shared that story. So really what I want to say is God bless for putting yourself on this line today, and personally, I'm really grateful for the whole talk, which is one I will go back and listen to from my own work with myself and with other women, and that's 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 really it. I, I send you my love and my prayers for what you did today. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Rose. Ruth, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Okay. All right, I'm back. <laughs> Great. Welcome. Anyone yeah, else with a question? <laughs> Any other questions this morning for our speaker Ruth on step two? Uh, read a compulsive overeater and food addict. 
Rita, good morning. Yeah. Go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Uh, thank you, Ruth, uh, so much. Um, I just uh, <laughs> keep getting back to him. Keep putting... Uh, people, sponsors keep taking me back to step one. Uh, my uh, self-will run riot. Uh, I would like to uh, ask you, if I may, is there any particular time that is convenient for a one-on-one person to call you? And are you on the East Coast? Are you on the East Coast? No, I'm in uh, Central Time Zone. Okay. And uh, humility, what is the difference between Central and East Coast? Um, well, right now it's nine, about nine ten high time. So okay. an hour ahead of me if you're on the East Okay. But I will have to correct one little thing you said. You said sponsors keep taking you back step one. I will say yeah. your self-will is taking yeah. you back step one. Okay. Doing that. Yeah. Okay. If, you're, yeah. if you're abstinent and you're working on step and you're getting recovered, they don't need to take you back step one. But if you get back in the food, you got to go back to step one because you didn't take it 100% yeah. with absolute perfection. Yeah. Just say, we can't say, I'm just correcting you there. You did it. Yes, I did. Okay. Because I, I, I am not surrendering and I'm my biggest fear is that I'm not going to live long enough to, uh, you know, reach this transformation. And I may not if I continue to put myself back to step one. So I, I thank you so much for your um, for your marvelous uh, sharing and your journey. And uh, with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. Who else? With a question. Hi, this is Bonnie. Oh, sorry. Uh, Bonnie? Bonnie, go ahead. Um, Yeah, hi. Thank you very much, Ruth. Uh, Page 55, when you were speaking about uh, the great reality deep down within us, and just I was really having a hard time picking up a lot of what you were saying. If you could just go over that briefly a little bit, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Well, um, you know, in 53, we've done the exercise to let us know that God is nothing, painful awareness. So then by the time we get to 55, we want to know where God is since we can't seem to be connected to God. Where is God then? I mean, that's going to be the next logical question that's flowing through us, even if it's not conscious or not. So now as we near the end of this chapter, you notice we didn't do it at the beginning of this chapter. We waited till the very end, you know, the last couple pages. And on this particular page, this at this point, we're ready to know where God is. So let me give you a, a, um, an analogy, kind of a story. Anyway, there's these three uh, young fish, and they're swimming in the ocean. They're swimming around just having a good time. And along comes this old, wise fish. And she looks at the three of them, and she goes, It's a mighty fine day. The water is fine, isn't it? They all go, not yet. Nod yes, and she swims off. So the first fish says to the second one, do you know what water is? I have no idea. second fish says to the third, well, what about you? Do you know what water is? I don't know either. third one says back to the first, well, do you know what water is? first one says, I have no clue. But they wanted what she had. They just didn't know what it was. So they spent the rest of their lives swimming the ocean looking water. There's a whole lot of people in OA. Those fish swimming the ocean, looking water. 
and they never find it. Die. So this page is telling you where God is, where God is found. Don't be the fish that swims, takes your whole life and swims the ocean looking for water. Don't do that. I mean, you can do it. Many of us do. But where God is found is deep down within us, down within us. So if you kind of, as you go downward, deep down within us, there's a level of us, you know, there's that pride that thinks we're greater than everybody else, or we flip over and think we're the worst of the worst. In fact, we flip back and forth. (laughs) That pride stuff, no. We have fears about things, and step two propositions really talking about those fears and not willing to give to God and kind of can see that God is nothing. We have angers, like we're not getting what we want. Usually we're angry that we didn't get what we want in the past. We're fearful what we're not going to get, which is the future. And as you know, if you put one foot in the past, one present. God's not anywhere to be found in the past because it's over. God is nowhere to be found in the future because it hasn't arrived. God's not going to be found in fear. If you come from fear, you will not come from God. No fear-based decisions are God-based decisions. No anger-based decisions are God-based decisions. You will not find God at that level of you. If you spend your life searching the ocean for water, you come from fear, come from anger, you will not find God. This page tells you where you will find God. And God will be found deep down within you. That means below the fears and the anger. You have to get past that. You have to be willing to let the self-will go. That drives you into this fear and this anger. I mean, selfishness, that is the root of our troubles. The self-will is selfishness. We have to be willing to let it go as each step does that for us. Find God deep down. There we find God. Sometimes God kind of just kind of spurts kind of up and quickly we have a connection with God. Wow, that's but fragile and kind of not knowing how to do it and everything, but it somehow just comes out through us anyway. But the fundamental idea of God does exist deep in us. Simply are allowing, the analogy of the onion, allow uh, a layer to be peeled away and then another and another and another. And get to a point where we encounter more often, we encounter more deeply, when we, and it lasts longer when we God. That story. That answer? Uh, yes, thank you. And just, is there any page in the big book that gives directions? Just, you know, like this says where to find God, but is there any place that gives directions on how? Okay. Yeah, you start at doctor's opinion, and by the time you get to one before, <laughs> you, you've got it. There's directions all through the book. <laughs> That's what it is. That's that all it is. <laughs> okay, it is. thank you. A hundred recovered people did it, and now they're going to write pages, and they're going to tell you exactly how to do it. So the whole thing is direction. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Very good. Thank you for the question, Bonnie. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Sherry. Sherry, go ahead. 
Um, I was just a little confused earlier. You talked about, um, I think it was in column two, or, um, you talked about the bulldozer, either becoming the bulldozer or the, and I couldn't under, quite understand, the it, the feel for me was the victim, um, rather than um, just letting God be, or us just being, what would we have God have us be? And so could you explain that just one more time? I'm just a little confused. Does that make sense? Does my question make sense? Yes. Um, what I'm referring to is the part in the big book that covers step three, and uh, we're not at three, so I didn't get into it a lot. Um, I don't know what step I'm working on right now, but if you go and go to the middle of page 60 after they cover ABC, then it talks about the actor besides he's the director, and he takes two approaches to run this play, which he has no ability to do, and he doesn't know how to do it, but he thinks he does, and becomes the bulldozer, or he becomes the kind, generous, through people-pleasing, thinks he'll get it just the same. Uh, but that's covered in step three, but you can go ahead, and if you want to read that, um, it really describes our core personality as we've known it, as we've come into program. These are kind of the two extremes we come from, or flip back and forth. Um, the self woven ride is rampant in both of those extremes. So I was referring to that uh, that example because, again, in that part, Bill W. tells us again what step three is and then gives us the example, and the example is the actor. So as always, the major points always are followed with the example, example of step three. So I would, if you want to do that, you can read that. Thank you. Well, Ruth? thank you. And Sherry. Ruth, you available for a few more questions? Sure, no problem. <laughs> Ruth, our loyal servant, thank you. Anyone else, start one to unmute if you have a question you'd like to direct to Ruth this morning on step two. Good morning, it's Eddie in Virginia. Go ahead. Good morning, Ruth. Thank you very much for your um, share. It was uh, quite revealing to me. Um, I don't know if this is so much a question as a comment. Um, I've been in um, program for quite a while, and I've been recovered for um, quite a while also, and um, thought that I really had this whole, you know, God is everything or God is nothing thing down pretty pat. But uh, your comments this morning made me realize that, um, you know, maybe not so much. My, uh, I have, a, I have a, a person who's very close to me in my life who uh, we were in program together for quite a while. And, and last year um, she had a couple of events in her life, and um, she sort of like walked away from program. And for the past year, I realize now after listening to you this morning that I have been, um, you know, scrambling to try to, um, you know, get her back to program um, because I see – you know, I see the value of program. I see what her life has become when she, since she's out of program. And, and this morning, you know, I realized that, you know, it's that I have said to God um, that you, he is not powerful enough um, to take care of this and that I, I, I uh, need to take care of this. Uh, otherwise, you know, it won't happen. Um, ever again. So 
you know, you really opened my eyes this morning as to uh, I just need to take a step back and, and, you know, just look at what I've been doing and realize that God is the only person who's going to get her back to this program. Um, and that I, despite all the love um, and all the desire in the world to, to have her experience that again, I, I can't do that. God, God is the only one who can do that. And, and if I don't believe that, um, you know, then all of what I practice is a sham for the last eight years. And um, I need to um, just let go and, and, and let God. And um, I'm not really sure I, I know how to do that. So maybe that's my question. If you have any, any ideas or suggestions, you know, just how I can let that and, and really, you know, make that meaningful to my my practice of, 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 of this program, which literally has saved my life and, um, you know, let go and, and just let him do what he's going to do when he's going to do it and, and be content and, uh, with that in my life. Thank you. Well, I mean, the first way, um, we know from big book is pain, failure, food, food will kill us. So we don't have to, with others or even with ourselves, say, well, let me figure this out and let me get the answer here. Um, the answer will come through in pain and suffering. And we get enough pain and suffering, we don't want it anymore, and so stop. That's one way. You know, there are times, um, there's times still in my life, and I'm sure there will be where it's like, oh, this is not painful. What are you doing to inflict pain? Most, almost all the pain in my life is self-inflicted now. I mean, a moment happens, but then I react in a way that is self-will, and then I inflict all, all of the subsequent pain and suffering upon myself. So that that separation I've made from God, I might not at the moment say, "Well, I'm going to separate from God." No, but I can tell that I'm separating from God as I move towards my self-will. In that act, I feel pain, and that pain motivates me to move back to God because I, I hate being separated from God, and I feel empty inside and bad, and I can't just put it. It's just not a good feeling, and I know the feeling I'm off. It's like singing a song, a beautiful song, but singing it out of tune. Nobody wants to be near you hearing you sing it. So um, so the one reason is just feeling the disconnect and uh as you feel the disconnect, you've already started moving back towards God. Feeling disconnected and in pain and not wanting to be in that pain is already a move back to God. You've already made your move. You ask how to do it, you've already done it. That helps. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that insight. Eddie, thanks for the question. And Ruth, for your beautiful response. Anyone else this morning with a question for Ruth related to step two? This is Sue. Hey, Do go, go ahead. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. Um, I, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to um, say thank you, Ruth, for just a constant reminder of, you know, of, Having God run the show, and um, and you know that that um, 
killing of the self and just being reminded of that. Um, you know, I love what you said about the fact that, you know, God God channels through you in the way you know when he's channeling through you. And, you know, it's it's the is the the way that um that certain things come about and you know it's not from your own ability. And I, I love being reminded of that today because yesterday I had an experience where I you know, I was I was uh taking care of my amends and I, I was thinking to myself, This is impossible. <laughs> There's no way I'm gonna be able to make these amends <laughs> and I I just pray to God and I say, God, you know, you need to run the show. You need to um handle this for me because it's more than what I can handle. And, you know, as soon as I surrendered and I let God run the show, um, you know, I was able to get in contact with people that I haven't gotten in contact in uh fifteen, twenty years, thirty years. And <laughs> I was like, Wow, that's that's the power of God, you know, and hearing this today was um a really good reminder of you know, of constantly, you know, recommitting myself to God. And I love I love the thing about the the fish in the ocean and searching because I, I did that. I was one of those fish that I searched the ocean constantly looking looking for the water and being in the water and not knowing that I was in the water. And um, so I'm glad that I have that recognition today that that God is everywhere and that he is the ocean and that, you know, I get to swim in it. And I'm just so grateful that I have people like you, you know, in my life that constantly remind me of, of things like that. And I'm so grateful for this meeting. And thank you so much, Ruth, for for, you know, doing service today and um, reminding me of all those things that I passed. Thank you, Do. Anyone else with a question? Star one to unmute. Hi, it's Debbie. Can I ask one more question? Sure can. Okay. Um, Okay, how do I know when I'm people-pleasing or when I'm being as God would have me be? Well, um, as I said earlier, one of the the first ways, things don't work out. Things just aren't working out. Things aren't, you're not feeling peaceful inside. People are um, not um, feeling somehow that it's been helpful, or that you know that, or too helpful. They find it, things don't work out. That's the first way we know. Um, then what happens as we go along? It kind of we get this connection with God. It's kind of like you know, in the old days, you know, you drive down the road and. Um, you'd hit a bump on the road and the radio would be a little off and you had some static, but you kind of hear it but not really hear it real well and you have to kind of turn the knob, try to try to find the spot where it was the best. And so it's kind of like that. You know, you're you're kind of going through the down the road of life and you hit a pothole and all of a sudden you're not connected as you were and you can tell something's not right, be it the results are not right, they're not working out as well, 
um, or you're you you just you just don't feel as as connected. It's like it's like the thing with um, let's say the example with food. Um, you, you come in and you know you feel hopeless and you're following the directions. You know you're kind of doing what you're supposed to, and then you're feeling good. You're feeling so good you don't even need to feel follow directions that much anymore. Look how much weight you're losing. Look how much well you're doing. You don't need to call your sponsor all the time. You don't need to listen to this vision for you meeting. I'm mean, occasionally okay. So you start getting pompous and arrogant. And what was a good connection starting now is fading away because you were giving yourself credit for where there's no credit you can ever take. You're back into self-will. And so the connection's fading away. And you're going down the road and you're running over all these potholes and you're not adjusting that radio. Finally, you're not going to hear anything. So um, the best way is failure again. It's pain and suffering. That's the best way we know because things aren't working. If they don't work, then... You know, the common denominator and all that is you, me. So if I live a life where things just don't work out, then and I'm the only one that's constant in all of that, then it must be me, not everybody else. So it starts with me. I have to look within me to see why why are why are these things working out the way they are and have somebody objective, neutral, on the outside, a recovered sponsor that can give me guidance because I'm so wrapped up in it, I can't see my own nose uh, when I look in the mirror because too much about me. So... Failure will be the first way, and then later it'll be uh, feeling off-centered, off-key, singing the song. It'll, it'll just not feel right, and you'll kind of and you'll pick up on it easier. I, I remember one time I heard this person. She's you know she's a professional at what she does. She's a drummer and she's been drumming professionally for I don't know 40 years. She's exceptionally talented. Done CDs, blah blah. So she made a comment. You know I was there and with her and others and one person said oh you know you're so good you never make a mistake you're just phenomenal she said oh no 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 one ever doesn't make a mistake the difference between me and those that have not been as perfected the craft as well as I is I make a mistake but I correct it so soon that only the the very exceptionally trained person knows I've done it I'm able to notice I'm off and I immediately correct it so quickly that it was only one one beat of the music and it's already been corrected that's the difference between me and the one that just begins to drum go on you're drumming and you can't seem to get back and you're floundering around and i've corrected it in such a split second you didn't notice but i made the same mistake as you it's not that we don't make mistakes it's that i can correct them so soon that most don't know that i've made the mistake and i always remember what she said and i think that's true about us once we get recovered we continue to make mistakes just like Everybody, we're all making mistakes. It's just that we see it, we immediately respond, go back to God, and immediately we're back and connected. And it was like, in literally within seconds, we've done that. And we've had that conversation with God in our head. We're talking to you at the same time, and you don't even know we did it. <laughs> you know? And we went through that whole process and got back connected with God in the middle of a conversation with you. I'll, I'll even do it when I'm talking. I can't say I did it today, but sometimes I'll talk and I'll go, oh, that's a little off, and I'll come and I'll say come and I'll ask God. Oh, I'm starting to get a little off on this, and draw closer, and then the talk improves. So you'll know, and you'll quickly um, make the correction. Draw back to God. That answers your question. Thank you so much. It does, and thank you again for your service. It was amazing. It was amazing. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. 
Anyone else, before we wrap up this morning, have a question for Ruth? Hi, it's Adi. Can you hear me? Yes, Adi, go ahead. Last question. Hi. First of all, Ruth, thank you so much for your share. It was uh, it was really amazing. Um, I'm I'm at the point where I know I I can totally believe that 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 God can restore me to sanity, but I'm not so convinced that He will. And I know that that's partially um, ego, like in reverse, that sort of that false humility. But how do I sort of get over that? I I completely know that like. God has the power to fix everything and to do everything, and he is He is unlimited. However, I don't believe that he will bother with me, and so I don't know how to get over that hump. Um, if you could if you could maybe help me with that. Um, well, an analogy I would give is you're you're in a body of water and you're drowning, and you're going down for the last time. And a person on the shore, um, you know, jumps in the water and swims over and um, is going to pull you to the shore and it's going to save your life. Do you really believe that once that person pulls you to the shore, that then that person's going to stick you in a boat, come back out and throw you back in the water and then leave you after he just saved your life at his own peril? Do you really believe that about that person? Is that how it works? I've never known that of any first responder, that they would go and rescue somebody putting their own life at peril in order to throw them back into the fire of the water. I, I just don't know of that story. And if that's the human condition and it all comes from God, how would God do that which, not, which humans then, which manifest God at our best moments, would do? You know what I'm saying? So there's no logic in what you're saying. Obviously, you know there's no logic. So this comes not from reason that, yes, God would t- pull me out of the drowning water, you know, me drowning, pull me out and then go over and throw me back in and watch me drown. Um, no, God is, no, no, that's probably not. Or if that is your God, you need to get a new definition of God, okay, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, so it comes from uh, probably self-will. And sometimes what we do is self-will wants to find a way for it to, to not die. So it'll create a totally irrational, illogical and we know better when we think about it, preposterous claim. So if we can if we can go and hold on to that, we don't go ahead and just let go. Because you know when that when that rescuer comes out to get you, you're fighting and so much to save your life that you're pulling that rescuer down and you kinda kill that rescuer. What does the rescuer have to do to you when you're in that state? That rescuer has to make you more helpless in order to pull you to shore and save your life. The rescuer will knock you out and then pull you over to shore. Now you, thinking, I don't want to be knocked out, I can't be that letting go of life, is maybe what you're going through. You will go through a hell that you never imagined because that rescuer had to knock you out to get you off to over to the shore because you were going to pull that one down and kill both of you. And God's not going to let that happen. So it's not that God punishes you. God is making you, helping you be more helpless so that you embrace God more so God can save your life. And you don't want to take that chance. So it's really self-will is what you're talking about. You're not, you're not talking about God. This whole conversation about God is to, is to deflect what is really going on, which is this is about God and God's not going to do it. You know that's bogus. 
what you know really is you are trying to play a game so you never go and look at yourself that refuses to really turn your life to God. So go to where the problem is and don't put it on God's shoulders because it never was there to begin with. That's what I would say. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ruth, for your response. And Adi for the question. Thank you so much to everyone who directed their questions this morning to Ruth on step two. And, of course, thank you to Ruth this morning for your very revealing and thorough explanation of step two. We appreciate your time and energy on the line, Ruth. And I will close with the way we always close a vision for you, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.